Welcome to another episode of A Gift from University. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening or watching. I really appreciate you. Now, A Gift from University is a book that I wrote in 2020 and that came on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and it's available all over the world. It's called A Gift from University, subtitled Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And I am a survivor of all these adversities. And along the way, I've learned some um, some methods and wisdoms, and I started a nonprofit along the way to help other people. After I published my book, I've gotten a lot of feedbacks and some messages where they shared their adversities. And I felt really compelled to create a platform where people can specifically talk about adversity and the method that they over how they overcame and a gift that come from adversity. So today I am very excited to have my friend Darren Reynolds as a guest, guest for my show. He is now residing in Japan, but he's originally from America. So I'm very, very honored to introduce you to Darren Reynolds. Hi, Darren. How are you doing? Oh, God, I'm great. Yeah, it's a uh, it's nice sunny day today, and it's uh, around noon here. So <laughs> we're dealing with big time differences at the same time. But it's so good to see you. It's so good to actually talk. We're always so busy. We don't get to actually talk like this very often. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. So Darren, well, uh, can you please introduce yourself to our audience, your name and what you do? Okay, sure. So my name is Darren Dean Reynolds. Uh, I hail from uh, around the Seattle area in the Northwest in the US. Uh, I moved to Japan after college. Uh, I've been teaching English here and doing music here pretty much since I first got here. Uh, I'm kind of traditionally a classical piano player, but uh, I fell in love with blues music. And uh, at first I was really heavy into blues when I came to the Japanese scene. Most of that's Kobe and Osaka. So I moved to the right place. And uh, I played with lots of the kind of famous, kind of aging at the time, uh, blues artists there. And uh, kept playing music, kept writing music while I was here and studying Japanese. Uh, that's why I studied in college. And once I uh, once I started mastering Japanese, I got more and more chances to go higher up the level. And eventually I worked for a record company here in Japan, uh, Giza, Re Giza Studio. Check it out. I worked there. I wrote songs for a few artists. Uh, I'll just drop a couple names. Uh, the most famous is probably uh, Aiuchi Rina. Uh, switch that Rina Aiuchi if you're looking for it in English. And uh, I also worked with the songwriter, main songwriter for uh, uh, Kuraki Mai, Mai Kuraki, among a few other, among a lot of other artists there at the label. So it was a huge chance for me. It was basically me getting my dream. <laughs> and I was way at the top, writing lots of songs in the studio every night, busy working 36 hour long days. Not joking. Uh, Julie knows I'm talking about, I think. I've <laughs> talked to anybody in the record business. That's not unusual. Like you're just up all night recording. You still have to stay at the studio in the office the next day. Well, anyway, uh, that lasted for a while, but it eventually, as most like relationships in music do, fell apart. And, like, uh, so I haven't been working with them, but I have been in Japan. I gained the experience and the knowledge and the producer skills to make music for about any project. So now I make music for film, uh, especially. But I also make my own songs and I run my own music label, Blue Orb Productions here in Japan. Uh, I'm <clears throat> working hard on new music at the moment. I also run a school here, a music school that is a rhythmic style. If you don't know what rhythmic means, it basically means moving your body or speaking to music. And uh, I use that as my main focus to help try to teach kids and get people engaged with music from an early age. I'm a big believer that all kids should uh, at least be exposed to music a lot. If not, really be encouraged to like use an instrument. Not push though. 
<laughs> I'm very against the whole, isn't it Kawasaki style teaching, like where the kids play violin from age two or three or whatever. That kind of stuff's too much in my opinion, unless your kid loves the violin and I think it's fine. But anyway, I'm very into child education. I'm very into uh, how to make music and make it in the music business. Uh, I'm in several bands. I'm a piano man, professional piano man. I'm the guy at the bar that you chip tip the money, you know, and ask for a request. That's literally what I do for a living. So times aren't so good right now for us, by the way. <laughs> you might guess from the pandemic. It's kind of hard to get a live show when nobody's at hotels. So, um, but that's the kind of stuff I do. Uh, yeah, and I too, uh, like, I'm very interested in mental health. It's a big issue here in Japan because Japan's kind of behind the times in a lot of mental health areas, if you ask me. A lot slower than uh, a lot of other countries. But still, on the whole, uh, I have uh, real issues with depression. And that's the hardest part when you're trying to do music because you go very up, you get very high, and then you go very down. And you got to learn to push through and keep going, even if you feel terrible about it. So I've rambled quite a lot, but that is basically me in a nutshell. Thank you so much for that. So now, uh, how can people follow you? Instagram, Facebook, uh, or a website that you have that you want to tell people how to yeah, uh, Instagram and Facebook are the two best ways. Uh, I do have a Bandcamp site. So if you go to Bandcamp slash Blue Orb Productions, you'll see my music label. And uh, all the stuff I've released so far for the, uh, for the film. We still got a bunch more music we're going to release. The film just came out this last December, so it's still up and about. We'll talk about that, too. The film's name is Matcha and Vanilla. So matcha is M-A-T-C-H-A, and then and, vanilla, soundtrack. Uh, if you type that in anywhere, Spotify, Amazon, whatever, it's going to pop up. And uh, you, because, you know, trust me, we're the only ones with that name for a soundtrack. And it should be easy to find. So it's all over, <clears throat> anywhere, any streaming service. And uh, you can also get it, of course, at uh, my Bandcamp site. Uh, Blue Orb Productions, the Bandcamp site. Sorry, Julie, you're, I can't see you. Oh, there she is. Okay. And and, and let's see. Uh, other ways. Uh, Instagram, I am the Geminiac. T-H-E-G-E-M-I-N-I-A-C. And uh, I also uh, post most information on my Facebook page, which is... Facebook slash, again, Blue Orb Productions. That's the name of my music label slash, well, it's the name I use for my private business stuff. <laughs> Not quite a company yet, but, you know, basically the same thing. That, that's where you can access all my music. Uh, the most good, most important stuff I want to talk about is stuff for the film, the soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack uh, it turned out to be phenomenal for this film, and the film is very powerful. Uh, it's a story of two ladies, Japanese ladies, who fall in love, and the story of how they can't really show their love publicly in Japan, and uh, the issues that occur from that. One of them gets sick, and it's a little bit of a sad story, but it's a very powerful film about the issues of the LGBTQ community here in Japan. And uh, I had a chance because of the pandemic to spend a lot of time working on music for that. So it ended up sounding way bigger in scale than I was even thinking it was going to be. When we made an entire soundtrack of pop songs for that. So that's what we're selling. And I, they're all good. They're all great music. Most of them songs I penned. Almost 90% of all the music in it is mine. <laughs> So big. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. One to you too, by the way, for all your success lately. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, let's switch the gear to our main topic, which is an adversity. So I really thank you for coming to my show. When I originally started, this was part of my manifestation to talk about adversity, which is not easy for many of us. Yeah. But I really appreciate you being brave. So what is your worst 
or the greatest adversity that you endured in your life? Well, I mean, for me, it's basically depression, but it's deeper than that. My family, I think on the whole, and I've talked a lot about this with my uncle, who just happens to be my dad's twin brother. My uncle is a psychologist. Uh, My dad's a lawyer. Those two are twins. Uh, it seems an odd combination, but what if you met them, it's not, it doesn't seem odd at all, really. They're both people, people. But anyway, the point is, he often said that our family has kind of like just uh, low endorphin levels, is how he described it. And if you know what endorphins are, that means it's very hard to feel happy, <laughs> almost impossible to feel happy. And it's very strong from, as particularly my, my grandma, side of the family but like uh but at any rate the the point is is that we already kind of had that and uh, you know just uh, in general kind of abusive family uh situation in different ways i won't get into too many details but it was not easy and i had a very poor relationship with my family uh, when i left for college and one of the main big reasons I wanted to come to Japan was like, I just wanted to be on my own and be kind of away from it all. And uh, I found out that like a lot of my feelings and emotions were tied deeply to depression. I finally found out I had clinical depression and uh, you know, it makes it really hard uh, when you're doing art uh, to you know, get very high, very quick when you make something cool. And usually that's when I start to feel happy. <laughs> like the endorphins finally pump up high enough when I'm playing music or uh, playing with kids, running around gleefully with kids is another one, and pumping weights, exercise, that kind of stuff are always that can help boost your endorphin levels. It can be such a simple, small chemical imbalance like that. And the problem is the best endorphin driver type drug is cocaine, which is not exactly easy to access. (laughs) So like, you know, there's really not any one prescription drug that helps with that. Um, But we all, most people that have that issue are often depressed, have depressed like symptoms anyway. Um, So lots of ups and downs. Uh, You know, I get low, I've seen the abyss, I've, you know, thought about suicide at times and things like that. It gets really tough when you're dealing with this kind of thing. You can't control it. <laughs> it just kind of goes up and it comes down. And then when it's on the, on the way down, you got to remember and hold on to certain values and different things and different stuff that won't keep you sliding. Like, you know, you're going to feel bad, but you're going to want to keep going and want to usually routines. Like for me, it's just it's, it's simple sitting and playing the, playing the piano. If I play the piano uh, and I uh, start creating, I always feel better. Or if I just play a song, I feel like playing at the time. And I, I know this is fun talking with Julie because I know she's like that. She's also a piano player and she takes lots of cool film of her just playing random things sometimes. Me too. That's I actually like to do Facebook lives and things like that all the time. Sometimes just when I'm sitting down and I'm just flowing, I like uh, don't like you just you don't don't know where it comes from sometimes but that's my meditation and that's my way of centering myself and it's my way of helping even if i'm feeling down at least feel better and like uh it starts turning around right so it's not quite manic depressive i hate to make it sound like that but the ups and downs basically i mean like uh uh, for me, it's not manic. Manic is even on a crazier level because I've met manic depressed people <laughs> in my life. And it's like they cannot be controlled kind of thing. For me, it's just me getting back to like very normal, happy levels most of the time. Uh, so, you know, without being too, too, too in depth about it all, uh it's yeah it's not fun it's not fun at all it's 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 everybody has the things in life that bothered him for me it was mostly family issues uh, unfortunately my father passed away before i could really have a lot of time to uh talk to him about stuff i was really hoping to talk about more but that happens and you got to move on and uh 
pandemic doesn't help either. You know, there's quite a lot of negative things, but you just keep trying to find fun stuff to do. And for me, that's the key. I want to have fun. <laughs> it's why I do kids' lessons and I do stuff with kids. I, I want them to laugh and have fun. That makes me have fun. That makes me feel better about life in a nutshell. Well, thank you so much for explaining and sharing it our, mm -hmm. with our audience. And depression and mental health, I know I grew up in Japan in the 80s and I overcame. I was, um, I'm a victim of the child sex abuse from my dad in Japan. And then there was no counseling service or like sting, so much stigma. And, you know, if you go to counseling in Japan, maybe like you are considered quite crazy or, um, you know, it's just like PTSD. I've never heard of PTSD until I came to Berkeley College of Music. And then my guidance counselor told me, I think you have PTSD. And then what is that? But I think maybe after the earthquake in 2011, I heard on the TV a lot more often and about the sexual abuse and all that stuff. I think it's like a Me Too movement. Um, I think it's getting talked about, but I'm not there. So how is it in Japan in terms of depression, mental health, I know pandemic added a lot. But in general, somebody from America observing American mental health kind of aids that we have comparison to that how is it in japan okay so this is a good question and uh i'm going to start by saying she's very right it's basically zero non-existent especially when i first got here it was really zero now it's not zero but it's still not good at all but uh they've improved uh and i'll get to that in a second but there's two ways of thinking about this one is well yeah in japan they're like that with mental health issues and uh, it's true that they hide stuff and everything. But at the very least, if you try to go get help, you're not going to lose lots of money because they have universal health care. Uh, in America, they do not have that. So I'm guessing it's very expensive to do all these things. I want to try them. And I think I could probably afford trying some stuff when I go over there. But that's that's one thing that Japan at least has got right. Uh, but the way they deal with mental health here is exactly how Julie just described. And she's Japanese. And she should know that like lots of things are just kept kind of secret and unspoken a lot in families. It's true. It was true in my family too. And that caused me some scars, but like it's not to the degree it is here. And the stuff that she went through, particularly painful stuff that she couldn't really talk to anybody about or get any help for, a lot of people are like that in Japan. Too many. And, you, you know, and most of them end up on the streets or just end up somewhere they get dropped by society because they can't hold a job. They don't know where they are. Or they're just walking around, you know, wearing weird crazy clothes or you know it's the same story just about anywhere it can be really bad in japan though you get shunned and basically kind of kicked out of society in a lot of ways like uh it's just harder to uh people won't believe you or believe your story sometimes and like uh, that can really hurt um, but the real on the clinical side of it, the medication and the stuff that you people can get here. I mean, if you nowadays, at least it's much, much easier to find at least doctors that will listen to your story, prescribe you the medication you need. And it's not just like a rubber like stamp and like uh, you need more. You need more kusuri. OK, yeah, you need more. Okay, here you go. Like uh, it people are starting to do more of an actual clinical thing where they talk about how you're doing, ask many questions. Uh, some doctors are better at that than others, but on the whole, it really is just like a means to an end. Like if you got prescribed something that works and then you need to keep getting it and you need to go to the doctor once a month to get it. Um, so in general, uh, like real, like psychologists, like counseling style, don't exist here. It doesn't exist except for the foreign community where there's a few. Um, but I'm telling you right now, their reputations are terrible. <laughs> like uh, I think the problem is, and like I 
Judy, you can correct me if you think this is wrong by any way it means, but I think a lot of people that move to Japan all have mental health issues. <laughs> like, I think it's a reason why you leave a place. Like, you didn't like some kind of past trauma, so you move away. Uh, my story is not unique at all. <laughs> it's a similar type of thing for a lot of people here. Um, and also, I would go even further to say that I think all human beings have some kind of mental health issue, <laughs> to tell the truth. They just don't know it. Um, I think it's quite a normal thing for every human to have some kind of issue that they need to be working on. And that should be considered mental health. I mean, that's basically what it is. If it's anything that impedes part of your life in any way, well, I think that's a mental health issue. Obviously, some are more deeper than others. I've unfortunately had friends that have uh, kids that have had to go through that, and they're desperate to get their kids help, and they went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, and nothing works because it's so slow here. They're like, they don't, nobody can give any, like, new light on the subject. It's just, well, you gave them drugs, right? What else are we supposed to do? And that's it. Now, I do take medication, and I... You know, it's just mild antidepressants. I'm not really taking very heavy amounts of anything, but like uh, it helps for me. Um, but it, I always feel better when I don't need to take it, if that makes any sense. Like I'll be like, I'll be so happy or just so tired that like I'll just sleep naturally and I'll just be feel happy naturally and I'll forget all about having to take them. Um, but, you know, I mean, on the whole, I don't mind taking medication. I think it's fine if that works. I think each person's different, you know. In Japan, there's just no options. Zero. Uh, yeah, I mean, I talked to Julie about her experience using the, doing the, um, what was it? I can't remember the term for it, but taking some kind of psychedelic or something like that and having counseling. And like, I was like very, I, I would like to try something like that. Uh, but the rules in Japan are nuts. Well, magic mushrooms used to be legal in Japan actually 15 years ago. But like uh, after that, uh, it's like insane idea. Nobody would do it here. Everybody would be like, are you crazy? Why in the world would you? Like, because of it, they're doing it in other places. You guys can't be blind. You know, uh, medical marijuana use and stuff like that. Don't even think about it. But CBD is finally here. And CBD kind of helps. I, I've tried it some here, and it helps me with the stress. Uh, I got to admit, it's not the same as the real thing, if you ask me. But, like, it's still, that's something, and that's a step, right? And so it's all tiny steps, you know? Yeah, it's very difficult topic in Japan. And then, you know, LGBTQ as well, and the mental health, those are, like, really um some of the stuff that america is more cutting edge and then we're just comparing two countries right now america and japan but you know middle eastern countries african countries and then like you know some of the you know south asian countries like you know a lot of countries are so behind and i i i think america um has more um accessibility and like choices but also, just to let you know, after the pandemic, a lot of people needed a counselor. And then uh, even like around 2019, before the pandemic, um, say for instance, my kids needed a counselor and it was a, wait, a year wait list. And then once we got a year wait list, we got some, um, then they quit in like two months. And I had some who fell asleep on the phone. And, you know, it's just like, three, four months, they say a wait list and then more. So it's not like you can just walk in and then just have counselor. And at the same time though, to be honest with you, just be blunt, like no disrespect, disrespect to the counselors who are trying to help patients and um, clients. But to me, sometimes it's hard to see the silver spoon and the privileges that they have that they went to college and then master's degrees and then having this career where i was homeless and i had no money and then i was abused and then they don't have any of this adversity which is a good thing but at the same time i just feel like pointless to share my adversity with somebody who absolutely have no idea of what i'm talking about However, they read a ton of books, 
and knows like kind of what to do, which I appreciate that. But at the same time, trust issue is really hard too. So like, you know, mind that in America, like in Japan, like, you know, just finding counsel itself is hard. But at the same time, opening up to even a friend is hard. And because there's such a society where we have to say neko kaburu, which is means like, you know, wear a, like a cat mask or social face where people can't even like say anything wrong. And so much of like, um, honne tatemae, which is the real intention and then like a fake intention. And so, you know, profess intention, actually, the real translation, profess intention, real intention. So I know you are American, but dealing with this cultural things, adding to depression and all that stuff, how difficult is it, is it for you to survive in Japan in terms of those issues? Well, I mean, it's a fun place to live, right? I like Japan because, frankly, I enjoy living here. And so... That helps. I mean, like, I mean, I've always had lots of fun here. I speak Japanese. I read and write Japanese, you know, and I enjoy the culture an awful lot, uh, even though the issues we're talking about are definitely a huge weak point, a weak point inside Japanese culture. Um, at the same time, I did my kind of my adopted homeland, right? You know, so like that helps. Like, I mean, like I mean, when I'm feeling down, I go, well, you know, I'm having more fun than I probably would living in the U.S. I enjoy it here more. I got lots of chances here. I got to work on a music label and stuff. And uh, I found all my success here. And now it's a digital age. I like settling down here a little bit too. Although going back to Seattle sounds fun as well. Point is, uh, yes, uh, it's a little bit hard. Uh, it's especially annoying when you go to a doctor and you're trying to talk about how you feel, why you're feeling so down and like so tired and like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And all they do is say, well, you know, I can give you some pep pills. That's like literally the only like uh, answer I got from any doctor anywhere. I tried going to like say, say Shinka, like the basic. Like a, like mental health, like it means like mental health and nervous system stuff, stuff with your brain, basically. And like uh, I got misdiagnosed all the time. Like uh, people couldn't understand that I just had depression. They're trying to find every other word for it but depression. And uh, it it's ridiculous because like you know doctors here just don't know what it is, and they're not they don't like going to these drugs, any type of drug that might make you feel better or happy. Like it, it, the, the word gaman in Japan is used so much. Gaman means like, just, 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 just bear it. You can do it. Like I, I had an operation once where the doctor insisted it's not, if you just gaman a little, it's not that painful. I was screaming like I was like having a baby or something. It was insanely painful. Like, it sounds brutal, I know, but in Japan, that's just so normal. They just expect people to, like, just bear the pain. It's not a big deal. It's too risky to give you a drug that might, you know, one one-thousandth of a chance, like, kill you or something <laughs> or make you feel sick or have a side effect that makes you feel better. Uh, it's hard to describe, but there's this masochistic side to Japan that's weird, you know, about that. Like, you just bear it, you know? It's like Harajuku, like... <laughs> It's the worst painful way to die you could possibly imagine. And yet people really do it. Like even in th this last century, there were some famous Japanese writers and people that did Harajuku seppuku style uh, killings in, uh, in public just to make a statement that they can bear the pain. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's masochistic though, isn't it? <laughs> don't you think so? Uh, it is about Jap 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 Japanese people that just have to bear the pain and have to hide hide it away and wear that mask, you know, the mask, the stranger. I love Billy Joe's song, The Stranger. Like uh, there, when you put the mask on and that's what that whole song's about, but Japan takes it to a whole another level. It's not just your personal mask. It's like there's your personal mask that you might show to friends once in a while. Then there's a family mask. Then there's the in public mask. Then there's the mask of in the office space where you're kind of in public, but you're with people you know and you work with. 
And it's just like every single situation, you have to act completely differently. And then when everyone drinks beer, all of that comes loose. And then Japanese people go nuts when they drink beer. And they drink sake like crazy during like uh, Hanami, like the cherry blossom season. Julie knows nodding along with it. It's insane. You'll see Japanese people dancing around naked in the middle of the park, like, and like doing, like, just people just going nuts. Like, no way a person, Japanese person would act like that in public normally. But because everyone's drinking outside, it's completely accepted. So, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. And I notice it, but like, as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen and I'm pretty smart about this issue. So I just kept pushing and pushing till I found the right people to talk to. And like, I still take, I basically have the only real, uh, real, real outlet for helping my problem is taking medication. But um, counseling, uh, sometimes counseling helps. I've done counseling a few times and I found it great. I have the same kind of experiences as Julie does, I think. Although I don't think of it the same way as you. I was pretty lucky, like not to have homelessness or ever that kind of stuff be an issue in my life. But it doesn't make it, my problems any worse. And it makes, I always feel like when I'm talking to counselor, like, boy, you really don't understand me, do you? Like, it just, that's what it feels like sometimes. And like, if it's a good counselor, they can get around that quickly and just get to the heart of the issue. If it's a bad counselor, they're going to make you feel pissed off the whole time. And it's no fun. So, I mean, like, this is the problem with counseling in general. I mean, it's like, it's really a skill that you have almost sometimes naturally. If you're good at interviewing people, or you're just good in general at talking to people, you can get to the hard issues quickly. Yeah. Some people don't have that skill, but learn the degree, if you know what I'm saying. And right. so it's they become narcissistic uh, Fs, <laughs> you know, like just yeah. bad people. Like they basically just love to control and manipulate other people. And they have a degree to do it, so they can. <laughs> but that's the problem with that business in the whole, if you ask me, my experience has been like that with counseling too, but I've had some really good ones. And like, I've had some really bad ones. So, right. uh, so I want to shift my question to a method that you use to overcome your adversity, like depression. You kind of mentioned a couple of things, music, like medication or counseling. Um, yeah. What do you suggest for people who are going through depression in terms of, using your experience that you know can maybe quickly come out of it or like something that you can give a tangible advice to people who are going through this adversity okay so my depression comes with a lot of, again i guess you would call it anger management i don't really get i get more angry inside thinking about things than i ever do externally <laughs> i like i don't i once in a while though like i'll be like ah, want to want to hit something so if you're feeling like that that my number one favorite thing when it's irritation and it's just like i can't believe what's going on exercise <laughs> punching especially like um i just I sometimes will just pretend like i know karate like like julie is practicing right now and i'll just like like pretend i'm bruce lee and just like you just get that energy out like that right away exercise of any kind helps boost endorphins that makes you feel happier automatically just your brain will boost it you know or do a video game that's like that like fitness boxing or something like that like those types of things is just can really help turn you around and if you you make that habit something you do whenever you're feeling like like a little irritated or things are getting down move stretch move around it helps a lot um like i said find your meditation I, for me, it's music. Okay, so like I like I think making something creative is really a good way to do things. So if you're into any type of painting, drawing, other types of things, when you're not, you make it a habit when you're not feeling great to do that thing. So uh, if you're good at drawing, well, just try to draw your feelings. Try it out. Draw it out. I play my feelings out. Um, you express your feelings out in some way. And if you're a talkative person and you enjoy talking with people, have that one or two friends that's going to be able to pick up the phone for you every time when you need them and just talk, talk it out. You'd be surprised how much better you feel if you just talk about it. Mm -hmm. and 
especially with someone that's a friend, not someone you're close with intimately. I would advise not do, talking about that too much with your partner, not zero. But like you don't want to drive your partner crazy too. Like, and that's the other tricky part. I'm, I'm married and my wife, oh God bless her. She really does help me when I'm down. Uh, and it's good to have a person like that in your life, but you can't always count on that person being willing to help you immediately because they go through stress too, <laughs> being around you. You need one person you can talk to. You need to find, think of who that person is and like know the secret code word or whatever it is or whatever way to give them a little wink and say like, hey, can we talk please? And how do you get, like, and just get stuff off your chest. Um, since one way or another, whether it's creative, whether it's like just a meditation thing or yoga or stretching, like I said, like all those things are kind of interconnected. They're ways to break a pattern. They're ways to boost endorphins in your brain. Um, for me, that's like any type of natural way to feel better about yourself. And it's a natural in like a real chemical way, too. I mean, those things really do help you feel better. So uh, in my for for me, uh, like those are the main things that I do, um, you know, and uh, I try to I try not to drink drink too much or do other types of things like when I'm feeling down, but I don't do zero. Like I, I try to just keep a normal, try to feel like a normal lifestyle and going out for a drink with friends is probably a great way to relieve some stress and feel really good. So, you know, don't say like, don't feel too like scared. Oh, I don't want to become an alcoholic stuff. And if you are an alcoholic and you have an issue, well, your friends will tell you and like, you'll probably get the help you need. But uh, don't feel bad about going out and having fun either. Um, find those things that are fun. I mean, I'm in a man, like a dad's band right now. And we're playing like heavy rock songs and stuff. That is something that's making me super happy at the moment. Because <laughs> every time I get in the studio and I'm with these guys that can play really well, I'm like, dang, we're a good band. This feels fun. And like, yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, for me, that's what it is. That's what makes me feel great. When I'm playing music, I'm playing it well, and I'm enjoying it. And it's fun. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And my last uh, question, thank you for sharing the coping skill. And oh. I, I really hope that uh, the listeners can take something uh, from this interview and then maybe apply uh, if they need to. It's really um, different coming from somebody who had been through adversity and they have tried a lot of method and that works than like the say, reading about it, Googling or YouTube or you know, counseling. This is a, a platform that I wanted to create personally because more than you know, a lot of people went through adversities and then a lot of people like survived and then thriving that, you know, why, how? And then that's the part that I wanted to find out. So I really appreciate you um, sharing these tools that actually uh, work for you and I think more toolbox and then the variety of things that we have access to that is really the key to overcome the stigma and also I just recently um, kind of had an epiphany that I wanted to sh uh, share with you and audience is that um, when as a parent we know when the kid or myself too or um, adult when we know like you know how to aid how to help when we have fever or when we have a so when we have fever in america we take tylenol ibuprofen and right. you know, bounce back and forth for the kids and then they'll be fine now when it comes to the mental health a lot of people don't know what to do and then people don't understand that is not like the you know for everything it's just like a fever. It's temporary, seasonal things, and it's a condition that goes away. But in the moment, it feels like hell. It feels like it's never going to end. So how do you aid that? So the coping skill that you mentioned, like right. physical activities, painting, and then breathing. Sometimes um, when people are prepared and they know what to do for you and for your children or for your friends, instead of like calling police, or like, you know, going extreme, 
just you know have this you know drink a tea take a shower hold an ice cube those are the things that if you are prepared then you don't freak out and then you know okay this is just a condition we have these five things that we can do together let's try them all or even before you get into depression a panic attack you can constantly do these things so my epiphany is that why do we talk about health so openly and then why do we have so many methods to tackle health issues such as fever or cuts but why do we not have this accessibility openness and then normalization of recognizing the mental health to start with and have to cope with it methods so that is my epiphany why don't we like you know just think that as fever that you can just know what to do so that's kind of my recent discovery mm -hmm. that's a good thing to be thinking about i mean I've t i teach kids uh i've taught kids is kind of my main forte for years here in japan um so in young children uh when you're raising them as a teacher and as a parent now i've had both of those experiences yeah you gotta identify things and you when you have your own issues trust me your kids are watching you <laughs> and so they learn all the habits that you kind of do and then like uh you know i mean getting irritated like i i was trying to describe before sometimes i'll be irritated and i'll be like ah you know and like yeah like my son might copy that kind of an i of attitude and i identify it and usually when i identify it i'm like hey man hey 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 you know i just said let's talk let's calm down just take a seat and like uh, we try to talk about it try to talk about how he feels um number one important thing when you're dealing with kids doesn't matter if your teacher doesn't matter if your parent yelling at them for what they're doing is never ever going to help anything if you're just getting angry because they're acting angry and copying you then that's ridiculous that's a circular loop that's the definition of craziness <laughs> uh it's never going to end it's going to keep getting worse actually the loop will get bigger and bigger and stronger starting to tell us a big rolling force of it of anger <laughs> for lack of a better term so like yeah you know i mean it's really important to calm down yeah try to Try to try to like slow. Just talk the kids in slowly to removing themselves a little bit from the situation, calming down, understand their feelings. I go, I know how you feel. <laughs> That's what I always tell my kid. Like, dude, I know how you feel, man. Like, I know how you feel. You feel angry at the kid that wrote something bad to you on the video game or whatever it is nowadays. It's amazing our kids are like using social media like things already at their age. I cut it down quite a bit. I'm not, I only let him play games and like sometimes play with anonymous people, but like, uh, uh, still, you know, there's things like that. Like the first time you feel that you've been trolled, it's like, it's the same way we feel every time we get trolled. We're like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> you're like, you're really, really, really angry at that person at that moment. But you know, if you're smart about it over time, you stop reacting like you don't let emotion dictate your actions and like uh that's a i think that's a bruce lee quote like bruce lee like famously was talking about this once like like that's the key to success really in life is that like if you don't you, you learn to feel you understand your emotions but you don't let it control you and like if you start letting it control you well then that's when everything goes wrong so I try to have that discussion with my kid. Like, I just keep it real with them. I know exactly how you feel. And so, like, you need to remember that, like, right now, all you're doing is making a mistake on this homework problem. <laughs> you know, it's okay if you make a mistake because it's not easy to do. And I made lots of mistakes growing up. And I was also frustrated, like, kind of like you. In fact, we're very similar. Strange that, you know, <laughs> my kid being similar to me, uh, like, you know, it, it, you, you need to realize that they're little versions of you and like they're watching you and they know what you're like and they react in emotionally in a lot of the same ways you're going to act. And since I'm depressed and I get angry about and irritated about things, I, he tends to show some of those same traits to a lesser degree. And like, it's better. And like, I feel me and my wife are very supportive to him. But he's a dual uh, citizen, like a dual language kid, too. 
And, you know, you've probably met people like that and thought, oh, how lucky is that kid to be able to speak two languages? Not every kid's the same, though. Uh, my Both my kids had a, took a long time to learn to speak both languages. In fact, my daughter, by even age five or six, like had a tough time speaking Japanese or English when, I, when she was very young, my older daughter. My, my son was just like, he was very focused on English, but the Japanese was very hard. So when he went to school, Japanese school, first it was quite difficult. But now, now he's fine. But it took a while. And uh, other kids just learn it like that. <laughs> One or two, they're speaking English or speaking Japanese. But every kid's different. Every kid has their own pace. Although they're similar to you, they're not exactly the same as you either. So you need to remember that. Let them be themselves understand who they are and try to think of how what you can say to help them to help them calm down to help them listen and to help think it through you got to think it through is the first time you played a video game did you win everything no you lost many times you make mistakes just every kid needs to learn to make mistakes and be okay with making mistakes and those kids that make mistakes all the time need to feel good about getting things right so it's like you just need to learn to push that right button and make it feel really good to succeed. And it's but it's okay. It's and it's okay to fail to get to success. Um, but don't feel too bad about failing, uh, right? Like fail, you're gonna fail all the time in life. Everybody fails, and you need to learn. You need to learn to fail. And yeah. um, this is the hardest part for kids, I think in general to learn um my kid in particular but like i you know that's that creates mental health issues for them um there are no such things as kids counseling and stuff that's like when you said that waiting in line for waiting what for a year in the line to go to counseling for your kid woo, man, i imagine that like it's pretty rare and pretty popular thing um but you know you need to be the counselor you need to be the person talking to your kid um and you need to relax the situations whenever possible always try to relax it calm down take a deep breath it's okay to feel upset i know people people feel upset i feel upset all the time you see daddy being upset <laughs> like because i can't find my keys where are my keys ah you know like everybody goes through stuff like that and the kids watch it and they try to copy it because they that's what they have in front of them right um, those are things to th keep in mind, but, uh, yeah, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy in teaching either. You have to right. identify those problems as a teacher and try to find a way to talk to the parent without embarrassing the parent. And like, uh, that's really tricky too, but it's all about communication. In the end. Well, yeah. So, um, the last part of the show is always for the guests to talk about a gift that came from adversity. So, um, what is a gift that came from your adversity? Um, okay. Well, I mean, the obvious choice is music. And so, like, you know, let me put it uh, this way. Um, I would say, especially the music for this last film and making this film, uh, during the entire time of making the project, my father was ill. He was in and out of hospitals, and eventually he passed away. So um, that was hard for me. We had gotten in physical fights as a kid and lots of abusive arguments. Um, he didn't understand my desire to want to live away from the family. Uh, and, you know, he went through a lot of tough stuff in his life. He had a very high stress, stressful job. And he was addicted to his work, literally, as a, as a lawyer, a very successful one. But, I mean, all he did was work. And that was the only thing that made him happy in life was working, which I thought was kind of nuts. But like, I don't think, I mean, it's fine to feel happy when you work, but you got to have more than just work in your life. <laughs> like uh, you're going to work yourself to death, which is literally kind of what happened uh, to him. So unfortunately, during the making of music for this film, off and on, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do it. But uh, it turned out that being... A, in a pandemic, kind of all of a sudden after my dad's death and having all this extra time drove me to the point where I just started creating. I just stayed up all night, a couple days in a row, I think, and I was just recording every single instrument I had in my room here. This is my studio, by the way. 
stuff, uh, guitar back there, everything. Like I, and I started really working on music for the film. And from then I ended up making the entire soundtrack, which was about 11 tracks of music total. Uh, and I also scored all the music in the film. Uh, and that felt like, uh, I mean, the film deals with real hard issues, including dealing with sickness and death. And I had just been through that. And so it was a very tough thing to watch over and over again while I'm making music. But at the same time, I could relate to it because I just went through it and it was kind of cathartic. So I would say that biggest gift from the adversity I had and learning to deal with the pain of my father's loss and like the issues, the issues that I, I had that kind of led to me not uh, to having depression and having different issues, but forgiving him as well. And knowing that he, you know, I'm just as, he was just as imperfect as I am imperfect and he did his best. And then he truly loved us and he truly worked like, uh, worked like crazy too help us you know so like uh i have to be thankful for what i got for it too and uh so it was a big gift for me when the film finally came out when the music could finally be pay, played especially playing it for family members it's personal for me and like I, it's like it really is this is like kind of like me this is me showing my dad like oh like how much i've how far i've gotten in making music and uh, what a beautiful project you know, I could be a part of and make some really nice tunes. Um, and it's my first release in a while, in about 15 years, real big release by me personally. And it sparked a lot more music coming. <laughs> I've got loads of songs ready to go. Uh, so I'm well, they're almost ready. You're going to get to hear them soon on my music label. Uh, but uh, that's the gift. And from a very tough time in my life, dealing with the passing of my dad. But hey, you know, uh, I think a big part of it is even people that help cause your problems in life. You need, you got to learn to try to forgive, forgive. And like, you have to learn to uh, accept and love people that you don't like or even to do terrible things to. Um, it, it's such a hard thing to do. Because human beings, it's human. It's just human nature to like uh, be hypocritical. <laughs> like, so you'll say one day, "Oh, I love this person. They're so nice," and the next day, "I hate what that person just said. They're scum." Yeah, it it, it goes. It's so easy nowadays to have your emotions toyed with like that. Don't let emotions control your actions. Like you know, be open-minded. Listen to both sides of the argument. It's almost never 100% one way or the other, no matter what it is we're talking about here. And I'm not going to get political or anything like that now, but like I'm just like, people need to listen to everyone. Treat everyone as equally as you can. And like sometimes it's not worth it. Sometimes it's a person that you can't help, but you at least need to try to engage. And right nowadays, people don't even try to engage. It's just immediately, you're a communist. <laughs> uh, that's kind of old i guess i'm getting old <laughs> well, thank you well thank you so much for sharing a gift and again thank you so much for coming to my show and okay. as um i finish my show that i just really um appreciate with the time difference and the scheduling uh to be on my show today so uh we will see we will talk soon there yeah but, uh, oh. um, <laughs> Yes, for our audience, thank you for tuning in to A Gift from Adversity, and then we will see you next time. Thanks, guys.